0: Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Today, we're pleased to welcome to the show Lynette Jackson, Chief Communications Officer at Siemens AG. Lynette is an experienced communications professional with a rich history in the industry, including roles at HSBC, David Clark Associates, TRW Automotive, ABB, and Delphi Technologies. At Siemens, Lynette is an advocate for the company's mission to combine the real and digital worlds to address significant challenges such as climate change, urbanization, and digitalization. Under her communications leadership, Siemens continues to innovate in areas like additive manufacturing, automation, and data analytics while also focusing heavily on sustainability. In this episode, Lynette discusses the intricate balance of maintaining legacy while ushering modernity at a storied company like Siemens. She also touches on the pivotal role of AI in communications and its impact on the chief communications officer role. She also delves into the fascinating concept of the industrial metaverse and offers her nuanced perspective on navigating the complex intersections of technology, leadership, and communications. Join us as we unpack these topics and many more with Lynette Jackson.
1: Lynette, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us here today.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Paul.
1: Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear from you and, and learn more about how you're approaching communications for Siemens. Obviously, a, a storied company, Siemens has been around for 175 years. Um, I mean, what is it like? Thinking about the legacy of a company like that, but then also, of course, very modern, innovative company. I mean, how do you sort of blend those two things together?
2: Great question. And uh, when I took the role, it did weigh on me a little bit, I've got to say, that responsibility of 175 years of history. But what's amazing is our founder, Werner von Siemens, in his backyard was thinking about technology with purpose and so back then he was trying to connect continents with um with the point of telegraph so basically the modern uh modern day equivalent of text messages back in the day and he had that mindset of doing things that made a difference to societies and so that's something that that we do today and we talk about technology with purpose and so whether that's Uh, making renewable energy uh, faster to be adopted whether that's uh, green transportation in cities or whether that's more efficient um, industrial uh, production then it's all at the heart of what we do and we care about how we behave in societies but I would say that we're informed by that legacy not defined by it and as you point out we're now a very modern company and we know that We've got to keep reinventing ourselves to stay relevant.
1: Well, obviously, there's there's probably no better um, example of that than AI today. I mean, it seems to be in every conversation. Siemens has advanced capabilities in AI from a product standpoint, right? Uh, many of us obviously think about it through the marketing communications lens, but Siemens obviously has AI baked into its business. Um, but what about in Global, you know, communications and marketing. Are you are you using AI in advanced ways in the communications function? Um, and what are your thoughts on sort of the rate at which we're adopting it versus you know maybe some people are talking about slowing down the adoption of AI?
2: I mean, what's brilliant is we were looking at AI in communications um, several years ago, and particularly in the area of understanding what's being said in the world, and then being able to crunch that in a clever way. So using AI to say, what's the buzz? Where is their white space? And, and where, where how can you develop your um, editorial and your content strategy to, to be able to cut through? So that's something we've been doing and also using it for our analytics and, and data. But then I've given the challenge to my team to say, okay, what else? How can we use it? One great example, um, we've been using um so large language models, so um chat GPT style to analyze um all of our CEO's speeches and then to make sure that we stay consistent and it, it makes the preparation for his speeches faster. Also, I had a great conversation with our CEO about how could we use a large language model on for our training for our people. Um, so we've got we've got such a library of educational materials, but whether that's functional or um, or, or leadership training uh, for engineers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, just a huge database. And how could we use uh, uh, la- large language models to then be able to say, um in my development, I need my my next step is to do X, Y, and Z, and then you get the bespoke training served to you uh, to help you. So we're we're looking at it in many many facets uh, because I I kind of always feel like the message has got to be in the medium. So if you're a tech company, then you better be using tech in how you communicate as well.
1: All right. So it sounds to me like you're on the side of. Um you know, understand and work with AI as opposed to trying to control, manage, uh, you know, slow down the adoption of AI.
2: Yeah, but you know, the thing that I've said, I mean, I wonder how many other um, heads of communication, chief communications officers have have sent out similar directives to their entire team saying do not publish content used only. AI, please
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> because the point is you, you want to have that human intervention for quality control as it's in its infancy and we all know when we've played around in um chat gpt there's a I mean, number one the uh, the data source is a couple of years old and number two it, it it's kind of filling in the the gaps and making stuff up that's not good for our profession
1: no it's not um and it, it does speak to of course you know the the old art plus science working together and you know the humans provide the the real art even though the machines now can make images and poems
2: my favorite i mean i always talk about communications in those terms it's the science it's the rational piece and then it's the art that talking to the the human and and yeah i mean the good news is i think it's going to be a very long way before uh, anyone can write as beautifully as, as some of the people i know
1: and for our listeners who cannot see Lynette right now, she was emphatically motioning to her heart as she talked about humans and art. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Lynette, you mentioned um, your CEO a couple of times, um, Roland Bush, and you you report directly to the CEO. Is that right? Absolutely. And, you know, obviously in some companies, that's the case now and others is not. Um, so I guess, first of all, I'm, it's kind of a two-part question here, right? So the first is, you know, how does that change the job? What is, you know, how does that make you essentially more effective or how might it be a challenge? And then as you think about, I mean, a CEO could could kind of take up your, be a full-time job, right? How do you think about balancing directly supporting a CEO with all of the other needs of the business?
2: Yeah, I mean, the first question, I, I really like the model to report directly to the CEO. And I've, I've had the experience in other companies of, Different models. I've reported to CHRO. I've reported to uh, a head of sales before, um, but I've um, and um, so in a business comms role in, in, into the head of communications rather than directly to the business leader. I think it means that uh, that there is that direct um, official contact. There's always going to be that 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 contact, regardless of the reporting line. But it's kind of official. He he is my boss, and so I can go to him when I need help as well as when I'm. Helping him and the Mm organisation, and it—I can't. I honestly can't see a downside other than you know you've you've got. uh, I would always be on my best for whoever it was I was working for. But when you've got that responsibility to be very efficient with your time because their time is so incredibly valuable, sometimes um, I think that also helps Mm -hmm. because you've got to make sure you're ready for those the the, the time you have with um, with your boss. To make sure that it's value added for him and the company, um, but I, I mean, I, I feel privileged. I mean, he's one of the smartest human beings I've I've met in my life. Um, so it's pretty interesting. My it was my one on monthly one on one with him this morning, and it's uh, just a joy to exchange with him.
1: That's great. But what about? Okay. So a CEO, you know, can require a lot to just, you you mentioned his speeches and, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into just working one-on-one with a CEO, especially in the modern, you know, sort of post-pandemic world where, I mean, CEOs have to be a lot more cautious about how they communicate with, you know, employees and et cetera, et cetera. Right. But then you also, of course, have people all around the company that are expecting your team to be, you know, Supporting them, thought partners, etc. Like, how do you how do you think about going up versus down? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, what what I'm very lucky that we have a model of having business partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so, communications business partners for our um, May executives as well. So, I've got somebody in my team who's an amazing communications professional who is dedicated to supporting Roland with um, with his speeches, with his positioning, and that is a massive help because, as you say, it's enormous and. Um, so all the different stakeholders that a CEO has to interact with—it's complicated. Uh, there, there's speeches every single day, so I, I, I think it'd be very difficult for me to manage that without the support of, um, of Chris in my team and her team. Um, and and then it and then it's just finding out. So what's the right time that I'm involved because it's um, broader for the Siemens board for, for the Siemens brand. And then when is it very much about his executive positioning and then making sure that we've got good processes to work together
1: mm-hmm. so you mentioned you're fortunate in this role and and of course credit to your team you've worked in a, a variety of other companies prior to siemens including sort of big industrial type companies tech companies mm-hmm. um, all sort of like heavy industry high stakes industry um curious you know first of all any any learnings that you think apply more broadly from having worked in those kinds of companies um and is there anything that was you know in terms of the way that the teams are structured was different before and you've learned from that and how you structure the team now
2: yeah so i mean what what's common across all of my experience i'd say is that the heart of the role in as head of communications is this notion of um protecting the reputation of an organization it's like stating the flaming obvious perhaps but i always think that that's the 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 middle bit of of the role and the bit that means that it's it's difficult to really switch your phone off for any great length of time because anything can happen and um and normally it does on a friday afternoon but you've got to be ready to be able to protect the reputation of the business and then the other big really nice fun bit is building that reputation and, and that brand but I, I felt that it's quite similar, the, the role that you perform, whether that's an automotive supplier, whether that is uh, um, an industrial company, whether that's a technology company, you've, you've got to be on the lookout and being proactive to see what might be coming and be ready. And I've had to be ready and um, had to, and and sometimes there's situations that nobody ever hears about in the press because you, mm-hmm. you've handled them and, and there's been a fair wind behind. And then there's been major crises. Um, so I've, I've dealt with um, so General Motors nearly going bankrupt back in the day in in um, so 2007 2008. That was our biggest customer when I was with an automotive supplier. So navigating that, um, and then um, an antitrust investigation, mm-hmm. and then um, and then so more more recently, as many people uh, having the call in the morning when the Ukraine war started is is. I mean, wow, what what a responsibility and, and incredibly sobering in, in this role to have to navigate and support reputational management in those situations. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think goes um, the same. And then another part of your question was about team structure. And I've seen many different formations and um, automotive super lean, super, super lean. And basically, I think it's the structure has to reflect how you'll go to market and an automotive supplier you can actually put on a couple of pages at most your customers so the the vehicle manufacturers Mm -hmm. of the world Mm -hmm. i mean you 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 can name them um but a company like siemens or um uh, or others like us you have every type of customer and you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of, of customers So the complexity grows and therefore the size of the team and the 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 structure of the team has to reflect it so um and and what's funny is there's pros and cons of each having a a really small team where you it's very intimate you know each other you can respond very quickly is um it has its has its benefits um and and when you're there you think oh if only i had a much larger team and then when you have a larger team, then you, you see the benefits of, of the smaller team. And when you, with a larger team, of course, you've got the resources and the bandwidth, but then you've got to manage it and orchestrate it and put in the processes and systems to make sure that you can be uh, efficient and have impact.
1: That's a really, really interesting insight. And as, as sort of like, you know, simple as it sounds that... The scale and complexity of the customer base should drive the scale and complexity of the comms function makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm curious now, because you, you mentioned earlier that you had reported at one point to the head of sales, you know, and now we're talking about the go-to-market for the company. So I, um, a month ago, I gave a talk at a communications conference here, and I asked everybody to raise their hand. Everybody in the, in the audience is in communications.
2: I they raise your hand if
1: you agree that the role of communications is to support the business. And everybody, oh yeah, of course, you know. And so, okay, well, what about the role of communications is protect the brand, like you just said, right? And everybody, uh, yes. And I said, what about the role of communications is to drive sales? And, and like half the hands came down, and half of them were kind of like waving around, like I'm not really sure. So, like, what? Where do you stand on that?
2: Oh my hands well up. I mean that's it. I, I kind of I need to get better with this podcast medium. So like hands up, hand up. But, <laughs> but no, absolutely. And, and and I kind of like that because I've had different roles um it, before being the head of communications for um Siemens. I was head of communications of the business of Siemens, and then you're very very close to the business and to customers and and you really see your role is to to support sales. But what's really exciting here at Siemens is it's still my role and I work very very closely with the three um, major business comms heads and then the other business comms heads but the, the our biggest businesses um to to work out um the end to end campaign management and thinking about really um one of the one of our measures of success is order intake marketing touched order intake as I, I think that's quite unusual in in for a comms function but Some of the times communications, um, because we don't have corporate marketing, we don't have corporate sales. They sit in the businesses. So then I put my hand up to say, let me enable that and facilitate that on behalf of the businesses working really, really closely with our heads of sales, with our heads of marketing and with the business. And that makes it really fun because then you're really um, in the mix of going from brand through to demand and then making sure you've got good processes in, in place for the follow up.
1: Yep. And of course, it's also how you can make the case for the team, the scale, the resources, the support, because you're clearly driving the business.
2: Exactly. But it's not easy. I mean, it's it's um, orchestrating that um, in changing times uh, takes a lot of, of effort. But I think it's probably one of the most important things uh, for our business right now is to really see how can we have things that make it seamless for our customers to interact with Siemens, um, mm. because we're of the scale and and the um, and the reach we have in so many you know more than 200 markets. Uh, it's easy perhaps to do a beautiful website in um, the United States or, or Germany, but making sure that um, my 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 communications head in um, Croatia, who also looks after the neighbouring um, Serbia. Um, et cetera, that they have the resources to be able to do a great job with their um, digital experience as well. Um, that's is that, that takes some orchestration.
1: Mm-hmm. And of course you have a pretty extensive um, you know, global background as well in your career. Um curious maybe how, you know, how has your global experience enabled your ability to, to understand and connect with customers and teams around the world and, how has it maybe shaped your leadership style?
2: Yeah, thank you for the question, it's a good one. I mean, I I, I feel really lucky that when I, I think about how long have I had a global um, role, it's actually nearly 25 years. So I got married um, a month after joining my first in-house role. And so it's nearly 25 years at, at Christmas that I've been married. And um, I, I just feel that's just so interesting because I've seen the world change in, in global roles and i think there's two things that have been important to me one is um empathy um so really uh trying to understand the audience the teams and, and how their their socialization forms how they work how they think and it's just fascinating if you if you look at the the, the different nations and 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 how their education system how what they've been to- told by their parents and watched on television forms them, um, um, and, and really trying to then understand through empathy and then curiosity to to do better. Um, that that has been I just think such a a privilege, and and for me, really believing passionately that diverse teams are the best teams, and that is diversity of age, nationality, thinking. And, and some of that diversity can come from having truly um, culturally diverse teams, but taking the time to understand and not making assumptions. So
1: if you were to be giving advice to someone right now, and they're saying, I wanna have an international career, I wanna work in big global companies on big global issues, you know, what are the things that you think prepares you for that or puts you on that path?
2: So, I mean, one, one good thing is actually, language, interest in language. Um so I, I studied French at, at university and um and then now I'm having to use German and, and I, I talk about my Schlechter's deutsch, I mean really ugly German, but I have a high level of understanding. So that that massively helps. So people who have a an interest, then I'd encourage like to follow up on that interest because even if it's just for those conversation starters, but even more than the language is to have that curiosity um, to understand how the different or, uh, countries, um, how people think in those countries. And I had, yeah. I had lunch with our head of communications from Australia today and we were talking about sustainability. And I was challenging him because he's got his perspective based on his knowledge, deep knowledge of, of um, Australia. I mean, he, he's got big global experience as well but i think all of us can be guilty of being socialized in one way so i would just encourage people to read different media so don't just read the u.s press read uh european press read international press to, to really inform um and these days the, the the thing that's changed massively since i started my career is geopolitics and and the important of, importance of that if i'd have known way back then how important geopolitics is I probably would have been too nervous to stay in the leadership role in communications because I would have thought I don't know enough. But boy, if I had to learn, and so I'm reading. I'm, I'm reading The Economist as my kind of go-to place, um, to, uh, and as well as of course more um, U.S.-based and, and um, Asian-based. So really trying to read as broadly as possible by people who are great thinkers, but have a a, a a lens that's different to your own mm. i think that's that's really important and and i think to be willing to travel to be willing to you know to be geographically mobile people that's always an option um to say, are you geographically mobile and and, um, and i've been shocked where young people have have just said no and i can understand where you, when you find somewhere you really love but you can always go back there in a, in a couple of years but i think by by being willing to to have experience in other places like go on an exchange when when you're studying have a have a role outside of your home nation then then you really start to um, understand
1: yep that's great i
2: know that you don't know i mean that's what i what i always think is i i, I know I've, I've got my beliefs and my understanding but i know that i don't know an awful lot about an awful lot
1: so we we've, we've talked now on um you know, having a global purview in IRL, right? In real life, in the real world. Now, what about in the virtual world? So Siemens Accelerator platform has been described as creating an industrial metaverse. So first of all, maybe we should ask you to explain what that is. And then second of all, like what should we take away from both what the concept of an industrial metaverse means for uh, people in communications, for the general public, et cetera, but then also, like, how do you think about communicating something that's a completely new creation concept?
2: <clears throat> What's so exciting is, um, so November two years ago, I sent an email to some colleagues asking about should um, we be really thinking about the industrial metaverse? And then people saying we are looking at it a little bit maybe. And then fast forward just seven months, then we really um, launched seems accelerator as a path towards that and i mean first of all what on earth is it so i think most people know what, uh, my my son and his um his uh, this time spent gaming um th- this notion of of being in this virtual world to interact and consume um the industrial metaverse is that the notion of having that virtual world but using it um, in, a, in a more real-world context, so the, the best example is my colleagues in Argentina, in um, South Africa, in uh, the United Kingdom can all be working together on a in a in um, real-time physics-based environment um, to to look at a, a production site. And so, why does it matter that it's real-time physics-based? you get the light and the shade and the um, the reality. So when you're thinking about, um, so a good example would be if, if you've got really small components, if you don't think about the light, it might be too dark for the operators to work out what's happening with those small components. The great thing is with the industrial metaverse is you can test and learn in this virtual world so you can be much, much faster to make it real. And then you can also, be learning all the time. So the real world and the virtual world um, are, are, are happening and, and learning at the same time. So you can then rewind in the virtual world to take the lessons and, and put them into the, the real world. So I mean I just I think it's so fascinating and uh, and, and we're having a great experience with our, our sort of quite um extensive proof of concept. And you asked about how do you communicate that? So I think that um what what's great is you have to explain what is the industrial metaverse for for sort of newbies and and um, so people who are potentially interested to come and work at Siemens but are not really technical. Then then you need to explain it in simple terms, which would be it's operating in um, in real time in a virtual world to have impact on the real. World. So it's as simple as that. And then the great thing is we are working with people who are writing the code to make that work. And so then you've got to have the different levels that get deeper and deeper and deeper. And then we work with experts such as the MIT to do white papers. And so that's what's really great, um, working in the tech, but often saying, how do we make it simple so anyone can understand this? And then you can double click and go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until I have no idea what my colleagues are talking about.
1: (laughs) Well, and look, we started this conversation talking about art and science, right? And sort of humanity with technology. Um, so let's let's end it there as well. We've talked now about science here with the industrial metaverse um, and our coders who can go far deeper than we can. Um, but you've also quoted Maya Angelou saying, "Try to be a rainbow in someone's cloud." So can you just explain to us what that means to you, and maybe how that sentiment influences your approach to team management and leadership?
2: yeah so paul in another world i might have been a hippie i mean i i I really um believe in the power of kindness and um i'm I'm fascinated by it and as a mother i've really talked about with my children you know who do you want to be how do you want to be perceived and so then after a few years of of telling your younger children then you think okay well how are you and so i really do believe um and a, a friend of mine sent me a postcard when i just Finnish university, so, and it, it was in French. And N'y a rien plus fort que la douceur. There's nothing stronger than softness. So at heart, I really believe that this power, and so it's it's kind of it informs the way that I um, lead teams. And I was going to say try to lead teams, but um, Yoda, um, do or do not. There is no try. So it's it, you have to say it's not how I try to lead teams. It's how I I lead teams. Um, and that what what that means is um, you've heard of the um golden rule and the platinum rule sure yeah, yeah so the, the golden rule is treat others as you wish to be treated the platinum one is um, treat others as they wish mm. to be treated so it's not really much more than that um so i just think that you can be intentional and so really make sure that you try and, um, and and always be kind um and i've found that that really works for me it doesn't mean to say it's all fairy dust and magic and unicorns and and fairy cakes i mean we've got to make an impact on the business and and i measured on the results not on how kind i am but i believe fundamentally that life is better when you try and create a great environment where everyone can thrive and you think about the impact that you have on other people simple um, example i never write a bad email um complaining or or criticizing and in an evening or on a weekend i um I, i would save that for the morning for a face to face, so I think you, you can be intentional in this um and it's it works for me
1: well and and five years in running Communications at Siemens being judged on driving order intake and driving the business and you believe that kindness is um what what enables your success strength and softness I think there's a lot to be taken from that so thank you Lynette we really appreciate you joining us here today
2: thank you so much for having me Paul.
0: All right. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at LippyTaylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And to learn more about us and our agency, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best selling book, Friction Fatigue What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on Audible.com. Thanks again for listening.